Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also, Mike, on the line. One more Oscar race checkpoint that we will fit into the schedule for you before finally finishing off our year in preview series with our 100% accurate way too early Oscars predictions. But uh, since Oscars predictions are on the horizon for us, it's probably a perfect time to talk about the Oscars schedule, which just dropped on us, Mike. Yeah, we have the Academy setting the date for March 10th of 2024 for the 96th... I'm busy that day. ...96th <laughs> Academy Awards. Scream 7, I'm sure, will come out on the 7th <laughs> or 8th. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> and it'll be awesome. Mm-hmm. And we won't be able to... Or we'll, be, we'll, we'll see it, but we won't be able to be, be talking about <laughs> we it. We just won't cover it, yeah. Yeah, so that, that drove us nuts this last year. Uh, but it's basically the same weekend of last year with a very similar schedule. We'll have shortlist the end of December. We'll have nominations uh, basically voted upon in the middle of January with a nomination announcement on uh, the 23rd of January. We'll have the luncheon. Tom mm-hmm. Cruise will be the mayor of the luncheon. Schmoozing, yep. On uh, the you know middle of February with uh, winter voting happening, you know, Two weeks before, 22nd through the 27th of February. And then, of course, the Oscars on March 10th. Now, Michael, we've obviously had the date jump around a little bit. Do you think this is wise that they're just kind of standing pat? Or would you like to see back to February like when we when we started? The 92nd Oscars, they tried way early in February before mm. the Super Bowl uh, on the 9th. Then they tried after the Super Bowl at the, the 91st Oscars before that, on the 24th, I should say. Uh, and then they, obviously, there was a global pandemic where they got oh, a lot it? of whack. I missed that. <laughs> uh, it feels like the right Oscars weekend, but I don't know that that means much. I mean, if they're if they're trying to get ratings back and they're trying to get viewers back, then I wouldn't have kept the same weekend. I, I, I don't mind it jumping the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, having it as the lead into the Super Bowl and that, like, traditionally what was Pro Bowl weekend, I, I don't think that's i mean people are kind of yearning for something to watch on that sunday night because they're so used to watching football anyway i don't know how big the crossover crowd is between football watchers and award watchers we may be the only two people on earth but nonetheless you know people are usually clamoring for something some kind of something to watch on that sunday night so i i don't mind that but you know the 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 weekend it's sticking at the weekend it was last year the weekend it will be uh this upcoming year Feels like Oscars weekend, so I'm okay with it. I just don't know that the ratings are going to jump all that much. I wonder if it feels like that because pandemic pushed it out to the 25th of April and they had it in a train station. (laughs) And then after that, they kind of slowly worked their way back to the end of March. Now we're at the beginning of March and we're all happy that nobody slapped anybody. (laughs) When would you want it? I, I, I agree with you. I would love to get back to February. I think uh, Scott Feinberg was all about February. Uh, yeah. You know, jump jump the uh, the Super Bowl somehow. But Like, why drag this out? But they don't want to contend with all of the playoff weekends. That's the thing. They don't want to contend with every one of those ratings 
crusher weekends, the the divisional playoffs. All, I mean, all of it. It's just right. Calm for them. So wouldn't, why wouldn't you do it on the old Pro Bowl weekend? Nobody watches the Pro yeah, Bowl. Yeah, but anymore. it's all the weekends leading up to that for all their other precursors that I'm sure are yeah. upset. But yeah. maybe if there's no precursors, then... <laughs> This is getting, why is this getting sad? We have a happy episode today. This is getting sad. No, I think they're probably doing the right thing where they can avoid, you know, they can allow the other precursors to avoid some of the big American football weekends, Mm. you know? Well, it will be March 10th. That is the date of the 96th Academy Awards. Uh, We will pivot now and talk about some things that, some movies that may be there at the 96th Academy Awards for all we know as we talk about the Tribeca lineup, which was announced recently. Yeah, it's another Oscar race checkpoint where I'm probably just going to add it to the playlist of the Oscars year in preview because (laughs) we're going to preview 100 movies right now. This is the Tribeca lineup announcement show. And I, I think I wanted to do this, and I think you agreed to it michael because there's a lot of cool premises here and i've had a really fun time at tribeca over the years especially the last few so this is worth doing and the demographics here are also pretty cool like this is a film festival working hard to include a lot of people uh anyway we have tribeca going off june 7th through the 18th and then it's going to be online through july 2nd we have 109 feature films from 127 filmmakers including 93 world premieres overall 41 percent of the feature films are from women directors 68 percent of the in competition films are directed by women and 36 percent uh, of films are directed by BIPOC filmmakers. Great. We are going to focus this Tribeca preview on the narratives, but uh, there's also some really cool documentaries that they've been known for over the years. Uh, Ascension, American Factory, have been some recent Oscar noms, Michael. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll get some more this year. And there's going to be a lot of famous subjects as the, uh, well, subjects of these documentaries for the biographical documentary section that Tribeca will have, including Stan Lee. It'll be Marvel's first original documentary coming from Marvel Studios. It'll be a about the uh, the creator there and their patriarch mm. that has uh, since passed, so that is something interesting, obviously. Uh, Rather is also going to be a documentary that'll be about the legendary broadcaster Dan Rather. It's directed by Frank Marshall, uh, as well as we have Biz Marquis getting his own documentary, All Up in the Biz. I want a double Great featured name. Rather and All Up in the Biz. <laughs> I want them to switch the subjects of those documentaries. <laughs> have All Up in the Biz be about Rather. Uh, Gloria Gaynor, uh, surprisingly, and maybe not, it was it, her documentary is going to be called I Will Survive. Makes sense. Uh, as well, we have Rock Hudson, All That Heaven Allowed, and Israel Adonise, uh, style Adesanya. Adesanya. Adad- Adesanya. You don't watch enough MMA, I'm do sorry. you? I, I thought it was Adonis. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I used to, but I don't anymore. But anyway, he's very famous. I've heard of him. I know his name, even though I don't know his name, obviously. And he's getting his own documentary called Stylebender. His recent win, taking back the title, was one of the most dramatic things I've ever witnessed. I mean, he's lost to that guy. Uh, who was it? No, now I forget the guy's name. There we go. Making fun- <laughs> anyway, making fun of you for not knowing MMA mm-hmm. enough. But uh, my brother forces me to watch MMA. What a great comeback win. It, it was the stuff movies are made of. So this- Was he the guy who does the bow and arrow celebration? Yes. Yeah, He's, it, it's one of his many. He does the... He does the machine gun on the ground <laughs> celebration, too. He's he's a wild man. He's awesome. Uh, anyway, we have uh, world premiere documentaries from Academy Award winners and nominees as well. Julie Cohen has everybody a quote 
battle cry for the rights and dignity of intersex children and adults in the United States, unquote. We have from uh, Wyad Al-Khatib, we dare to dream. It follows the athletes on their journey to become part of the refugee Olympic team in Tokyo 2020. That's a hell of a story that uh, has been narrativized. Narrativized? Is that a word? Uh, sure. What was that movie from Tiff? <laughs> Here we oh go. Boy. <laughs> what was that one of the seven hundred movies that premiered at Tiff last year, Michael? Oh God. Anyway, the Syrian refugees, the swim team, it, it, open Tiff. Was it the swim team? Yeah, that sounds right. Right. Mm. The swimmers. The wasn't it something? Basic I like think that? the swimmers sounds. Yeah. S- we're gonna go with that. It was it was a solid film. It was a better story than a film, but yeah, the swimmers. That's what it was called. Yes, twenty twenty two film. Thank yeah. God. All right, all right, nailed that. Good job, Mike. <laughs> uh, Morgan Neville, <laughs> he of twenty feet from stardom, is doing a documentary as well. The Saint of Second Chances. That's going to explore the legendary MLB promoter, baseball promoter there, Bill Veek. Uh, from disco demolition to fireworks in the outfield, Veek's stunts are credited with forever making watching baseball more fun. Uh, to the probably dismay of the commissioner's office as well, he was uh, behind a lot of those legendary promotions that ended uh, conspicuously, <laughs> controversially. Let's say. Sticking with baseball, we have Oscar nominee Sam Pollard baseball documentary about the Negro Leagues for Magnolia Pictures called The League. And then we have Rob Epstein, a two-time winner there from the times of Harvey Milk and Jeffrey Friedman. They have a concert film, Michael, about a theater legend, Taylor Mack's 24-hour performance. This is going to be an HBO documentary entitled Taylor Mack's 24-Decade History of Popular Music. If we did a 24-hour live Mike, Mike, and Oscar show, can you imagine how miserable I would be towards the end of it? <laughs> towards the end of hour two, as we've all found out on this on this show, guys, right? Yes. You guys nodding yeah, your heads. That's what I mean. Like, I would just be, it'd be nothing but curse words. <laughs> just, just grunts. Yeah. Growls. Monosyllabic growls of negativity. And cussing. <laughs> Let's go on and talk about the narrative feature section. We'll begin. Uh, a lot of actor-directed titles are going to be playing Tribeca yes, this year. Yes, Bucky Effing Dent is going to be directed by David Duchovny, starring Duchovny and Stephanie Beatriz. Aspiring novelist and Yankee Stadium peanut slinger Ted discovers his estranged Red Sox fanatic father is terminally ill. Wanting to mend fences and take care of the old man, Ted returns home with results as wild and unpredictable as the 1978 baseball season. So I thought Ted here was going to be Duchovny, but it is not. Duchovny is playing the father figure, uh, which is better for me because I would have a tough time buying, you know, the former alien hunter turned nymphomaniac who banged his way through the West Coast becoming a Yankee <laughs> stadium peanut slinger there. You're caught. If Duchovny were to take that. You're caught in the late 2000s. But That's so right. is David Duchovny, so I'll give you this one. <laughs> right. But why male models? Uh, so Ted is being played by Logan Marshall Green. He was the lead in Karen Kusama's underrated The Invitation, which mm. played Netflix. I think it still might be on Netflix, as a matter of fact. Uh, and also the lead in that video game kind of movie upgrade cool so uh that's where you know logan marshall green from duchovny is going to be the father marty uh, whose son ted comes to live with him and marty in this is going to be the lifelong red sox fan which is interesting because duchovny has said in interviews that he's uh, was raised in new york and he's a lifelong yankees fan so that's gross 
Yeah, it is kind of <laughs> gross. But you remember that old guy who used to hold the the pans and the poster around, and he just bring walk around Yankee Stadium, stadium yeah. and you yeah, yeah. bang the pot and the pans mm-hmm. because yeah. it, he drew drew a poster on it. He's like, bang this pan if you're a Yankee fan. <laughs> there you go. And he was the man. That's probably the first one. That's how it started. He was the man, right? Mm-hmm. So this is yeah. this is the story of him. I'm hoping. If not, I want to see that guy. Or I, I think he passed away. Unfortunately, legend in his own right. I want to mm-hmm. see. I want to see a repro- uh, an adaptation of that man walking around the stadium with this hot dog vendor story seven times, eight times. You can't have enough. New cameos. York. Are there other stadiums, professional stadiums, that have their own characters? Because, like, like, Giant Stadium has, like, License Plate Guy and Pizza Man. And, yeah. like, Yankee Stadium had that guy with the pan. But it's like, is that a New York-only thing? Madison Square Garden is Spike Lee. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, my, I, I don't know. I'm sure that I'm sure it's not true. True, I'm sure every stadium's got it. But uh, I, definitely, I definitely love Yankee Stadium. Uh, as a fertile setting for this one. This is going to mm-hmm. be awesome. Uh, yeah. I can't wait. Bucky effing Dent. We have uh, Eric LaRue. This is going to be directed by Michael Shannon, starring Judy Greer, Alexander Skarsgård, Al- Allison Pill, and Tracy Letts. Eric LaRue has a premise. In the aftermath of a shocking crime at the hands of their son, two parents seek solace in rival relig- religious conver- uh, congregations. Oh, my God. In Michael Shannon's emotional directorial debut. Oh. Yeah, so this is um, an adaptation of a theater play, a stage play, that was also from playwright Brett Niveau, who is also the screenwriter of this adaptation. And the uh, the synergy here comes from that when this when Brett Niveau made this play, first wrote this play in 2002, Michael Shannon, uh, according to Wikipedia anyway, was one of the founding members of the cast there. So nice little coming of age and full circle there for Michael Shannon's career. Wow. This is also uh, doing some research about this. This is a, an example of Hollywood kind of doing the right thing. This film was originally supposed to shoot in Arkansas last summer, but as a result of Arkansas passing legislation banning abortion in their state in the wake of Roe v. Wade, the entire production withdrew from Arkansas and instead decided to shoot in North Carolina. So we have not only serious subject matter within the script of this play and of this adaptation here for the screen, but we also have serious subject matter uh, dealing with life issues behind the scenes of Hollywood kind of doing the right thing here. So uh, this is what I'm interested in for a lot of reasons right now. Eric LaRue. So, yeah, drama in front and behind the screen and you know that costs the production money that had to cost mm-hmm. shannon I'm sure. money in in a way i i would guess uh but uh yeah that sounds a lot like the uh subject matter of the film mass with ann dowd and jason yeah oh, uh it's it... i'm gonna go with isringhausen <laughs> isaacs it was it isaacs jason isaacs is that right or isringhausen I... one of those yeah two. What was the now? We can't do this. Uh, what was the what was the nickname for the Generation Arm or G- Generation K? Right? Wasn't that it? When uh, Isringhausen and the other two prospects were coming up in the Met system in the early nineties. This is a bad. Why bad? We we talked about one baseball movie. Now we're like. Now we're like Jesse Barfield. Hole. Jesse Barfield. <laughs> Was a funny name. Great poll. Great poll. First, all right. Let's let's move on. First time female director. This has a plot premise that reads and explains it. Chelsea Peretti makes her directorial debut with this hilarious ensemble comedy set in a Glendale theater, where a new female director struggles to fill the shoes of her male predecessor, putting her southern rural drama in jeopardy. 
First time female director stars Chelsea Peretti, Amy Poehler, and Megan Mullally. Yeah, so this is not only Peretti's directorial debut, but she also wrote and produced this film as well. Uh, That's straight baller status for her. And if you think Mrs. Jordan Peele here, who herself is a wildly successful stand-up and comedic actress in her own right, uh, might have the ins and network available to stuff her directorial debut with some comedic heavyweights, you'd be right. You already said Amy Poehler and Megan Mullally are part of this. So is Max Greenfield, Natasha Leggero, Blake Anderson, Tim Heidecker, Andy Richter, Kate Berlant, Zosha Roquemore. A lot of, lot of big names and up-and-coming names in the comedy scene right now that you don't necessarily see on the silver screen, hmm. which I think is kind of unique. These are a lot of names that are big in the comedy world, but they're Mostly confined to television, so I'm interested to see how they're going to play in an ensemble piece for a first-time director for Chelsea Peretti on the big screen. How is Jordan Peele not in the movie, though? (laughs) He's got to be, right? He should. Cameo somewhere. First-time female director. I hope hope it's great. We'll move on to Downtown Owl, directed by Lily Rab Rabe and Hamish Linklater, starring Rob, Ed Harris, Vanessa, Vanessa Hudgens, and Henry Goulding. Downtown Owl is a stylish and energetic adaptation that thrusts viewers into small-town Owl, North Dakota, as a motley crew of characters brace for a historic blizzard. Motley crew of characters should be in every premise. Yes, I agree with that. And it also is a great name for a rock band from the 80s. Linklater is Father Paul from Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mash on Netflix, Lily Robb. Probably best known for her work in American Horror Story over the years, but she's definitely one of those instantly recognizable faces that you've seen in a bunch of different properties. Hmm. So this film, uh, Downtown Owl, is based on a novel from Chuck Klosterman. It's listed as a 91-minute drama and is said to focus around three main characters named Horace, Mitch, and Julia, who are respectively an old man who reminisces at a coffee shop, the backup depressed high school quarterback of the town team, and a new teacher... Rob plays Julia, a young actor plays Mitch, and Horace isn't listed in the IMDb cast, but Ed Harris is part of this cast. So I would assume <laughs> Ed Harris is going to be the the old man Horace reminiscing at a coffee shop. And if you know anything about the way Ed Harris prepares for any roles, I imagine if you go into a Midwest coffee shop right now, you could probably find Ed Harris method acting his way to prepare, even though this is probably already shot and on film. You know what I just fantasized about? God. Being at a Midwest coffee shop, listening to Chuck Klosterman, mm. just at another table, just talking because his voice is soothing. He's a great podcaster. Yes, I I don't think I've read any of his novels, but he also talks like a thirteen-year-old boy with braces for his whole life, <laughs> and it's absolutely <laughs> endearing all the time. Big sports fan too. Love Chuck Klosterman. Anyway. Chuck Cross, I, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. He sounds like that, like that. You didn't have to. It's wonderful. It's I love him. Uh, Maggie Moore in parentheses with an S. Maggie Moore's directed yes. by John Slattery, of course, of Mad Men. He's the boss, the Silver Fox boss. Maggie Moore's stars John Hamm and Tina Fey. Here's the premise: A small town sheriff is is baffled when two women with the same name get murdered days apart. Things quickly ratchet up in this comedy that reunites yeah. leading Mad Men alumni. So there's a trailer for this that was put up on YouTube like 
five months ago, six months ago. Hmm. And ironically, John Hamm starring in the Fletch remake alongside John Slattery, who was in that. <laughs> this has a very Fletch remake type vibe to it. Uh, if I watch the trailer. So I, I didn't mind the Fletch remake. It was it was a, a fun watch. And there was a couple legitimate chuckles in this trailer. And I will watch literally anything John Hamm is in. So, yeah, I'm, I'm down for this. Maggie Moore's. I'm in, too. I like that. Uh, I like that movie as well. When it came on stars, that was a. That was a fine two hours. Thank you yeah. for pushing me towards it. All right, we'll move on to Fresh Kills, directed by Jennifer Esposito, starring Emily Baden, Odessa Azion, Dominic Lombardazzi, Esposito, and Annabella Sciorra. Here's the premise of Fresh Kills. After their patriarch goes to prison, the loyal women of the LaTrusso family must survive. LaRusso. LaRusso. LaRusso family must survive by following the unspoken code of the New York City mafia world in the late 80s and early 90s. And that code, of course, is, hey, kill that guy. (laughs) So... (laughs) That's why it's unspoken. It's not very articulate. That's your best joke in a while. Good. You've been funny a couple of times this year, and that was really, really good. I'm trying. Thank you. Uh, you If I can get a chuckle once every other episode, I'm good. Oh, really good. So this niche, this, like, super niche of actually women can run the mafia too has kind of become a subgenre in the last few years. I we're still waiting for one to like break through as both a critical or commercial success. Yeah. It wasn't the kitchen back in 2019, even though you and I had both had high Oscars hosts for that. When we first heard about the premise, I remember. Yeah, we did. M- uh, Melissa McCarthy, right? Yeah. Yeah. That one didn't do too well. It's probably not going to be mafia mama with Tony Collette from this year. That trailer Ma- is rough. Yeah. I agree. Maybe fresh kills has the legs for it. More interesting about this than just the premise of the movie though. And that whole subgenre niche, if it is becoming a subgenre, mm-hmm. I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole and I found a video of uh, Miss Esposito here, and I think one of the producers from this movie, talking about how this film has been funded. I don't know how commonplace this is for Hollywood movies or movies made overseas or whatever at this point, but they were talking about how this is like a crowdsourced movie, but wow. the there's literal stock in exchange for this movie. Hmm. And when you buy into the movie for a certain percentage of the budget, you get preferential stock, which they you can then sell once the film lands a distribution deal. But the next shareholders who buy your sold stock can reap any second run proceeds if the movie does like, you know, extremely well at the box office or anything like that. It's a wild setup. Hmm. It's supposedly outlawed in America right now. Like Hollywood can't do this only insofar as you can't like they have this set up, but you can't sell the stock before one year. That's like outlawed for whatever reason in Hollywood right now. But otherwise, you, I think you can do this in America. I wonder how commonplace it is to fund a movie like this, and it's wildly interesting to me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly would be fascinated to know how widespread and commonplace this is, and how long it's been around, and how how many people have done it and used it, and how if it's going to be something that catches on for ways of funding a uh, a production. I can't help but think about like micro budget movies that have been become huge hits, like the right. the Blair Witch Project. Or even recently. Well, that's, that was the whole, that what you just said is the exact, like, that's the selling yeah. point of what they were trying to do with this. They, they they don't mention those specifically, but they do say, you know, if this goes on the great award success and goes on to have huge second legs at the box office or whatever, or a post-Oscars run, you know, the secondary market there, the second buyer of the stock could find themselves into an untold wealth and blah, blah, blah. So you're, you're hitting on exactly what the selling point of it is. Even something like Terrifier 2 
recently, mm-hmm. right? Wasn't that just a micro budget for nothing? Yeah. And it's Skinamarink, as much as I despised it, because they <laughs> pointed the camera at the wall and then had a kid just mutter nonsense for two hours. Production budget, $7.50. <laughs> <laughs> that movie made money for IFC Midnight, I think. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll move on. I hope. Uh, <laughs> I hope, uh, what's this movie called? Fresh Kills. I hope Fresh Kills is a new way of doing business overseas yeah. for, for stock options. That's cool. Uh, we'll move on to The Listener. Directed by Steve Buscemi, starring Tessa Thompson, an understated drama about a night in the life of a mental health helpline volunteer. The Listener is a stirring testament to the power of empathy. So this is going to be like a chamber piece tessa thompson on the phone all night sounds like yeah with some big names also in part as part of the cast margaret shows in this rebecca hall is in this they both have roles good it's got a super duper early 6.3 on imdb but i think it's less than 100 scores right now buscemi uh hasn't directed a feature-length film since 2005's lonesome jim though he's gotten plenty of directorial reps on the tv side of the industry he's directed such episodes for shows like miracle workers portlandia Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, so a lot of comedies. Mm. This one doesn't sound like it has uh, very many comedic legs to it, though. Feels like The Guilty, right? The Guilty we had. Mm. Uh, yeah. Jillian Hall's Hall version. Movie. It was a Danish yeah. Oscar nomination. Well, there was a 911 operator, though, but yeah. this you know, this could be something similar. Uh, anyway, that, that, sounds, that sounds like a movie I want to see. Uh, the Listener, Tessa Thompson, Steve Buscemi. We'll move on to shortcomings for one more preview, directed by Randall Park. This was a Sundance hit that I also enjoyed, starring Justin H. Min, Cherry Cola, and Ali Maki. Shortcomings is about a trio of young Bay Area urbanites uh, as they navigate a range of interpersonal relationships traversing the country in search of the ideal connection. This shortcomings from Sony Pictures Classics. We have previewed this movie so many times that I am now starting to resent the name Cherry Cola. <laughs> that is a turn. All it took was... Th- this has got to be the 16th time we previewed this freaking movie, Mike. <laughs> you loved her name, Cherry. It's a great name. It's a great name. Fantastic actor name. Starting to resent it. You've turned. let's talk about other narrative features that are playing Tribeca here not directed by actors Uh, they include one called The Adults that stars Michael Sarah and Sophia Lillis it's going to be from Universal a short trip back home reunites three siblings with a complicated past The Adults explores the family dynamics that unfold when one of the siblings tries to assert his dominance as the best poker player in town so Michael Sarah is indeed a poker player in his own right of some mm-hmm. renown, correct? Supposedly, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think I remember reading that. And also he obviously had that role in, uh, was he in Molly's Game or am I misremembering now? I yeah, want to say was he was in Molly's Game. And I want to say. He was say, playing the Jake Gyllenhaal role. I want to say like he, Michael Sarah, and Tobey Maguire are like the two known yeah, Hollywood poker right. players, right? That sounds right, which, I mean, I'm sure I am missing proper, somebody. too, because if you sit down at a poker table and you see Michael Sarah there, you're like, oh, I'm going to dominate this guy, and the next thing you know, you're losing your pants to the awkward kid from Arrested Development. <laughs> yeah. What? He had a funny name in Arrested Development, too. Darn it. Michael Sarah. George, George Michael. George Lee. Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, but, yeah, Universal Pictures, uh, so... 
the adults has some backing to it, so we'll see. It, it sounds fun. Is this one a fire? A fire, yeah. All right, but one word, A Fire, all one word, directed by Christian Petzold, starring Paula Beer. It's going to be distributed by Janice. Leon and Felix travel to a summer house near the Baltic Sea, hoping to dive into creative pursuits, but an unexpected guest disrupts their plans. It's always the unexpected guest that disrupts the plans. That's right, and if I Mm. threw a Molotov cocktail at your chest, you would be (laughs) a fire. You see? Anyway, Christian Petzold. <laughs> yeah, uh, we can't argue with that, I guess. Christian Petzold's a good director. He makes good movies. I, I've been particularly fond of uh, Phoenix in 2014. That was a showcase for Nina Haas. Uh, I've been loving Nina Haas movies since yeah. 2014. I remember watching it way back. Undine, I really enjoyed that film quite a bit at the virtual Middleburg film I remember Fest. you you raving about that movie yeah loved it from Christian Petzold and then Transit I actually watched Transit uh I watched it before Undine because I had missed it uh and that was that came out back in 2018 but both movies feature great performances by the tandem of Paula Beer and Franz Rogowski Rogowski is going on to do a lot of cool stuff and uh, great freedom and passages I don't think he's in this movie with Paula Beer but Paula Paula Beer is in it so looking Paula forward Beer to getting it. reps with uh with with Petzold there Christian Petzold that's kind of interesting to see anyway I always like seeing like realizing or recognizing the underrated or the yeah. lesser known director actor team ups Petzold and Beer and Rogowski yeah but oh that's I mean come on Beer, beer and Petzels Beer and Petzels <laughs> perfect a fire itself. a fire <laughs> love it I gotta say fire like HCDC if I were to throw a Molotov cocktail at you <laughs> fire you'd be a fire yeah sure would uh, the Blackening we have previewed a couple times as well. Lionsgate has this one. Seven black friends who go away for the weekend only to find themselves trapped in a cabin with a killer who has a vendetta. I'm going to spoil it for you. It's a white serial killer. Uh, will their street smarts and knowledge of horror movies help them stay alive? Probably not. Please, I beg of you, dear listener, go watch the short film. It's like four minutes that this movie is based off of from Comedy Central in 2018. All right. Well, here's the thing, because when you say that, it makes me feel bad because I haven't watched it yet. But I don't want to be spoiled for the blackening when we go it's see you, it as two white guys, it won't. white it men. Won't. <laughs> I, I like I I want to see this movie so bad yeah. because of that. The short is so good. All right, I'll, it's so good. I'll watch it. Is it's on YouTube or it's on some ridiculous I think, nonsense I think I've, TikTok? You got to go through. It might be on YouTube, but I, just type it into Google. Type the blackening 2018 Comedy Central into Google, and you'll find the uh, the link for it. Okay, cool. You don't have to pay any money or anything. Good. Blood for Dust stars Scoot McNary, Kit Harrington, Stephen. Good lord, were they just going for the best looking cast ever? Scoot McNary, Kit Harrington, <laughs> Stephen Dorff, and Josh Lucas. <laughs> Talk about a fire. Jeff loses his traveling salesman job and decides to take on a risky new opportunity with Ricky, an old acquaintance. Gotta watch out for those old acquaintances, people. Soon he is submerged into a dangerous underworld in this edge of your seat action thriller. Whoops. Loses his job as a traveling salesman action thriller. Blood Mm. for dust. All right. Why not? Yeah, sure. I'm in. All right. Cinnamon, starring Damon Waynes and Pam Greer. This is going to be on Tubi. Jody Jackson, a gas station attendant, struggles and aspires to become a singer, but things start to get complicated when a robbery occurs at her work. Yikes. That would complicate matters. (laughs) 
<laughs> Can't lie there. We have Cold Copy starring Belle Pauly, Tracy Ellis Ross, and Jacob Tremblay. Cold Copy follows an ambitious journalism student's tactics to impress and get into the good graces of an esteemed yet cutthroat news reporter, even if it involves manipulating her latest story and the truth itself. Tracy Ellis Ross is getting reps as like that mentor character, isn't she? Wasn't she mm. in like a singer movie where uh, she, it was about the manager and the singer, or the agent and the singer? Oh, God, I can't remember. This is going to be the episode. What was that movie that she... <laughs> Anyway, it was good. It was pretty good. Pretty good movie. Alice Ross. Hang on. Now you got me because I can't think of it. I'm usually good with coming up with something. You're as bad as me. Don't you delude yourself. Oh, stop it. You stop that right now. Let's see. (laughs) The high note? The high note. Has to be. Was that it? Was Grace Davis? She plays. Was was Dakota Johnson in this? Dakota Johnson was the assistant. Personal assistant. Uh That's what you were thinking of, huh? To Tracy Ellis Ross. Now it's just Belle Powley. She's the assistant. <laughs> she or she, well, she's the wannabe. Yeah, she's trying to become the journalist. It's the exact same movie. Just <laughs> They just switched out those roles. Tracy Ellis Ross has gravitas. That's all I'm saying. All right. It's going to be like weird it. seeing Jacob Tren- Tremblay all grown up, though. Isn't yeah, it? I don't like that. I don't want I mean, oh, boy, now I'm going to do it. <laughs> I was gonna say room, it didn't. Room. Haley Joel Osment. I was gonna say it didn't. It didn't work for Haley Joel Osment. But he's uh, funny though. Now he's getting reps in the comedy world. That's yeah. for sure. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So maybe that's the arc that uh, Mister Tremblay here has to follow. What was Haley Joel? I'm kidding. <laughs> no, he's been in a couple things that I remember. I can't remember the uh, Michael he was Douglas in Sunny, show. Right? He was in Sunny. In Sunny, he was in the Michael episodes. Douglas show on Netflix with Alan Arkin. <laughs> Escape from Danamora. Sure. No, that's uh, no, that's not the show. <laughs> that's a very different show. Oh boy! <laughs> All the old man shows that I watch, you know, it's a new uh, one. The Diplomat. It was Carrie Russell. That's an old man show that I love right now. I'm on episode four. <laughs> the Kaminsky method. The Kaminsky method. Yeah. It was up against Escape from Danamora, like every uh, TV sh- award show. Thank you. Thank you, God, and you. Let's just get the hell out of this. The Good Half (laughs) stars Nick Jonas, Brittany Stowe, David Arquette, Alexandra Shipp. The Good Half is uh, is about an emotionally distant writer returning home for his mother's funeral in this tender family dramedy. Supposedly, this is a showcase for Nick Jonas's acting chops. Could be. Alongside David Arquette, huh? All right. Let's go. Those aren't the two people I would think of if but I was thinking it, about a... Uh... David Arquette as Dewey was really good in Scream 5. Oh, he's great as Dewey. Yeah. But he, like, that was, like, his best performances. But what's your second favorite David Arquette role? As a wrestler. <laughs> right. WCW. <laughs> WCW champion. Yeah. <laughs> the last time oh, I, I watched wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have He Went That Way starring, wouldn't you know it, Jacob Elordi. Zachary Quinto in this one as well. A fateful meeting in 1964 along Route 66 pairs a 19-year-old serial killer with a celebrity animal handler shepherding an American TV darling, his chimpanzee, Spanky. All right. <laughs> if you had known Jacob Elordi was going to be in that plot premise and he went that way, yeah. Would you have been as hard on him in the last episode? Because yes, this How? is all terrifying. These are all like I, I, that's got to be a, a comedy, right? Is a wackadoo premise, man. You got to respect him for taking that premise, no? For taking that script. 
Is this not a comedy? If this is a serious drama movie, I'll I'll think otherwise. Is he the but serial I, killer or is he the, the oh, animal it's a drama. handler? It's, it, IMDb says crime drama thriller. All right. Come on. All right. But I'll, I'll you got a little little hopeful. You got to give him some props. I'm for just taking... worried about. I'm like, I'm not. I don't dislike Jacob Elordi. I'm just worried about him being spread too thin. Yeah, maybe he is, but he's taking cool cool ass uh plot premises that is an interesting premise that's a that's a wild one an animal a celebrity animal handler serial killer hollywood just keeps making the same movies oh a 19 year old serial killer so he's he's the killer he's so he's playing 19 guy's almost 30 well he looks young i thought he was PETA from the hunger hunger games (laughs) right yes he's not we've established very much those are very different people Josh Hutchinson and Jacob Elordi. Uh, ISS, starring Ariana DeBose and Chris Messina, tensions flare in the near future aboard the International Space Station as nuclear war begins on Earth. Reeling from these events, astronauts and cosmonauts receive similar orders. Take control of the station at any cost. This, I am shocked we haven't had this as a premise for a movie yet. What's the difference between an astronaut and a cosmonaut? I did did not know. Nationality? Yeah, I did not know this. So apparently a cosmonaut is just a Russian astronaut. Correct. <laughs> so I'm guessing that Chris Messina is the cosmonaut? Maybe not. Uh, yeah, I would assume. Maybe Ariana DeBose is playing yeah, Russian. maybe she's playing Russian. Uh, That'd be but interesting. How do you, listen, after the level of charisma he has shown in the last two films, just behind a desk... Wearing the suits that he has a worn. <laughs> Chris Messina is going to be hard to root against, even with the most likable person ever on the opposite side, perhaps, of this plot line, Ariana DeVos. The, uh, what's the other one besides Air? What was the, the first one? The, the one where you picked uh, Gone Girl as the best supporting actress at uh, one of those award shows that we cover. Oh, I care a I lot. care a lot. Okay. All right. <laughs> Gone Girl at one of those shows we cover. Sa- this is where it it's sag? come to. Was it SAG? Now what? No, it was the Golden Globes. The it was the Golden Globes. Globes. And it was lead actress in a comedy or musical. It's like 16 to 1. <laughs> yeah, something like that. That might have been the most general description ever. For the two guys that give general descriptions on this show, the one where you picked Gone Girl at one of those award shows we cover. <laughs> And it was Rosamund Pike and I Care A Lot at the Golden Globes. Thank God that wasn't a Friends episode. (laughs) We have Leroy. Oh, boy. It's not even an hour yet. I don't even think we're at 40 minutes. John Magaro and Steve Zahn are in this. After discovering his wife's affair, Ray Jepsen plans to kill himself, but fate intervenes. Through a bizarre turn of events, he is mistaken for a low-rent hired killer and decides to become one. Come on. (laughs) <laughs> Leroy, this premise infuriates me. Uh, I- I'll be okay with it because Steve Zahn and John Magaro are both really cool. They're especially indie film cool, mm-hmm. so I'll allow it. <laughs> I also have the White Lotus song in my head, thanks to Steve Zahn now. Damn it. What can you? I, I mean, I know I've seen him in a billion things, but he is saving Silverman for me. Yeah. He's right. But he's also been in like Cowboys and. He's been in a zillion things. Yeah. yeah, he's the man. Yeah. He's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. When he played the backup quarterback, <laughs> he's the mascot, and then he's forced to be like the fourth string quarterback, saving Silverman. 
I don't remember that part. He's screaming at both <laughs> sides of the line. He drops back the pass immediately and gets sacked within seconds by three defensive linemen. It's so funny. That scene kills me. And he's just crazy-eyed, screaming the the, the cadence. <laughs> Oh, so funny. I have to rewatch that movie now. I don't remember that part. Red 42! Red 42! <laughs> Is that hot? And he just gets <laughs> sacked during his five-step drop. <laughs> uh, anyway, we have The Lesson. We've previewed this film already. Starring Richard E. Grant, Julie Dupley, Daryl McCormick. This is from Bleecker Street. The lesson is about a young novelist eager to make a name for himself who begins tutoring the son of one of the most influential writers in the world. Good intentions soon give way to suspicion as darker motivations surface and the lines of master and protege are blurred. We think in uh, sexual tension? I hope this is not another Gods and Monsters premise, mm. right? I mean, Daryl McCormick just came from Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. I've just watched a couple of Gods and Monsters premises, autobiography, and I don't can't remember the other one. Anyway, that was the one I saw at New Directors, New Films. The Lesson, mm-hmm. Bleecker Street, you never know. Richard E. That's Grant. sexual tension. I feel pretty comfortable in betting on sexual tension here. I'm going to go with werewolves. Okay. All right. I'm <laughs> just going to pick werewolves until I'm right. <laughs> You'll hit it one of these days, I swear. <laughs> the Line, speaking of Wolf, starring Alex Wolf, Halle Bailey, Scoot McNary, John Malkovich, coming of age feature The Line explores the moral ambiguity of loyalty to tradition as seen through a college sophomore in the throes of fraternity culture. Isn't Alex Wolf like 35 and he's playing a fraternity <laughs> kid? College sophomore. <laughs> he's slowly moving along. He went from the high school... Uh, Room and hereditary, the high school, you know, like classroom. I could not think of that uh-huh. word. Uh, and now he's, he's, he's no, he's only 25. He's, he's still got to right. play. I think he's younger than Jacob Elordi. I've wondered where he's been, Alex Wolf. <laughs> I don't, I didn't know what he was doing. I never knew. Oh, Jacob Elordi's 25, too. I was wrong. I thought he was 27. Oh. All right. They all look so young. We are old. <laughs> <laughs> we are old and we look old. <laughs> Alex Wolf was great in hereditary, though. Where's he been? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Uh, he's been. Hanging out, I guess. I think he got concussion from banging his head on that desk. Didn't something happen? Didn't oh, we, I, I didn't remember. know. I thought I remember us talking about that, but I could oh, be. Oh, totally I don't know. Making I'm making shit up. I don't. No. Don't take. I mean, <laughs> don't, don't take anything I say seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's looking up the, that now. <laughs> <laughs> the Miracle Club. Oh boy, I can't speak. The Miracle Club, starring Laura Linney, Maggie Smith, Kathy Bates. This is a, a Sony offering here. Mm-hmm. Three close friends who have never left the outskirts of Dublin, much less Ireland, get the journey of a lifetime: a visit to Lords, the pitch, picturesque French town and place of miracles. And then they die of natural causes. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. This sounds adorable. Adorable. <laughs> this sounds adorable, and I have to ruin it. They're ta- they've never left the, the, the city of Dublin. Never. And they get a beautiful vacation, and I have to ruin it with a joke about old people dying at the end of a movie vacation fantasy film. In what world would Laura Linney be hanging out with Maggie Smith on a daily basis? How do those two circles 
intertwine where they can meet and become friends. Maggie Smith and Kathy Bates, maybe. I don't know. Maybe they're all, maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe it's grandmother, mother, daughter. It says very specifically three close friends. Oh, maybe it's neighbors. (laughs) Our son, starring Billy Porter and Luke Evans, fed up with the state of his relationship, Gabriel files for divorce from his partner of 13 years, Nikki, thus begins their complex journey to find themselves and support their son along the way. People are going to be listening to this episode and be like, Tribeca sure has a lot of comedies because we're just <laughs> giggling like fools, like a-holes while we read all these serious premises. Anyway, our son, uh, I've been waiting for Billy Porter to pivot into the f- feature films, and, and here we go. Yeah, he's a hell of an actor. Uh, it would not surprise me to see him knock this one out of the park. Let's do it. Uh, we will end here on The Perfect Find. This stars Gabrielle Union. It is a Netflix offering looking for a fresh start. A 40-year-old returns to the workforce where she must navigate a challenging workplace, a demanding boss, and a lusty secret romance. Oh, boy. Uh, Gabrielle Union, she's kind of surging of late with some at least Oscar buzz last year from the inspection. I know you didn't love the movie, mm-hmm. and her character was kind of one note you had said. At least in the- she's not in it that much. Oh, okay. She's in like five scenes total. But now she's carrying a Netflix film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see if she's getting into a groove here. I don't know. Could be. Uh, anyway, we'll move uh, into our next segment. But I just want to go over some recent Tribeca Oscar noms. Like I said at the top, Ascension and American Factory. But those are just like the nominations. There are, are, are always, I can't speak, there are always like all the international feature you know, national selections there, all the uh, shortlisted docs. I mean, I it probably would come up to like a list of 50 in the last five years. So mm. Tribeca still has an Oscars relevance in that regard. But there's also just a lot of cool-ass films. Like when we started the show, Hunt for the Wilder People, Taika Waititi's movie mm-hmm. premiered at Tribeca, Super Dark Times. I don't know if you saw I thought you and I no. saw that one. I anyway, that. that was a cool serial killer detective. Kids like detectives movie um diane which i know you loved in 2018 disobedience uh which i love for the wrong reasons uh in 2018 (laughs) no i'm kidding it was a good movie uh and then uh 2019 blow the man down swallow driveways in fabric a lot of cool films so yeah yeah, i i love tribeca the last few years uh, especially when they added the virtual component during the pandemic uh yeah so go go check it out and Prices are reasonable. I, I picked up eight tickets for two hundred bucks. That's twenty five bucks a ticket. So I'm gonna do two four day movies. Like if you're if you're applying for a press credential, there's they charge you anyway. So that's you know less. Are you are these in person prices? Yeah, in person prices. The online ticket price is one fifty for whatever they have, but they haven't announced their online slate yet. But that'll go from the 18th through July second. And I got to be honest with you, last year, the online section kind of let me down a little bit, even though I saw a couple of good films. I think I had to watch like 20 movies to see like five really good ones. So it's another case where the the premier offerings, they seem to not offer online. They shifted. They shifted last year. I do wonder if the in-competition stuff is going to go online, though. Like if that, like Sundance, they do all the in-competition stuff online, then you probably have a better chance at seeing some really good good films because but it's going to be from young up-and-comers that's right. going to be the difference so it's going to be a totally discovery fest in that regard uh for at least the online proportion i would say which i will do if if that's what they have but last year they play they kind of 
move things on and off last year. I, I was ag- aggravated. So hopefully they just are up front with what they're going to do. I don't do. understand. I mean, I, you know, I'll bring this up every time we talk about any of these film festivals, how they don't just embrace the online component. Like, People are going to show up. The press and their stars are going to show up in person at these events anyway, especially people from the surrounding areas. So why you wouldn't offer everything online as just a concurrent revenue stream to have people who can't go in person? Like, I mean, I, I don't think I would be physically capable of going to Tribeca for a full day. Like physically, I don't think my body would be able to handle it because of the ailments I have. So yeah. why wouldn't you offer? I mean, I would be willing to pay if I knew that I was getting all the premier offerings online. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I don't know uh, if they're going to go that direction again. I think it has a lot to do with the distributors. It has a lot to Probably. do with... Probably. I just don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, if they it's can... Money, it's money they're leaving on the table. Yeah, but how much of a cut do you get if you're Tribeca if all these movies are requiring that they recoup money? I, I don't know. Is it worth it to all these distributors to, to allow these movies to be seen for two weeks by all of the, you know, the rabid fandom? When you want that rabid fandom to kind of drive your platform release, I mean that's what they're, that's like fair. the economics that's that they're drive that they're trying to juggle right now. I think, you know, that's my guess. Just give me what I want. Just give you what you want. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I want that for you mm-hmm. at some point. No, I, I don't believe you do. <laughs> Maybe, not. but anyway, <laughs> Tribeca Film Festival sounds cool. There you go. Uh, that is Tribeca. That is the preview for it. It does have a lot of intriguing, uh, at least synopses and pl- plot premises there. We'll keep our eye on that, obviously, going forward. We'll pivot and talk about making the case. Mike has a list of movies that he has seen recently. I'm going to chime in with a couple uh, as well. Let's start the rundown here. You did. I was going to join you. Life got in the way, but you went solo. I'm very proud of you. I feel like a proud papa. You went alone to see Evil Dead Rise. I was shaking. I was very nervous. <laughs> I did not want to go see any of the trailers before the movie i was like showing up right as the movie started because i timed <laughs> okay. it out because i didn't want to see yucky trailers so i was like Argh! i don't want to do this i didn't i didn't want to eat anything but here's the problem i ate like a full dinner beforehand and immediately regret it. it's like oh my god vomit yeah bad move all over myself in a leather seat because of the yuckiness of this evil day like, I, I picture you like just like stomping your feet going into the theater like just slamming on the armrest throwing a tan i don't want to be here i was really nervous i was really nervous because that trailer truly scared the crap out of me this movie, beyond what the trailer shown, is not that scary and it's not that gross. So, I should not have been worried. So, I mean, it's okay. it's 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 kind of a chamber piece horror film that you know we we have seen before with a couple of uh, flourishes. Let's just say, <laughs> and I, I'm a little surprised because on on the one hand, the movie's a bit overhyped. It just is. Sure, there's no jump scares. Or scares in general beyond like I'm wincing, hmm. expecting a lot of grossness, and it doesn't happen. And then like once I realize this is kind of just a cool action movie, and it's a cool Evil Dead movie, and yeah, it'll get a little splattery at times. Mm-hmm. I kind of sat into it and enjoyed it more. And the third act is really good. There's there's a lot of strong characters and story concepts, ideas. It's a little better than the execution in the filmmaking, unfortunately, but there's still okay. some highlights in the you know, the set design's really cool. The props are crazy. That book of the dead is nuts. The makeup and hair, oh my god. I mean the Alyssa Alyssa Sutherland performance is terrific and the makeup on her face is gonzo. And God help me. 
but I still think she's hot, even as the demon. <laughs> what does that mean? I'm not dealing with any issues there whatsoever. <laughs> what does that mean for me? <laughs> you know, she may be possessed by Satan, but... <laughs> B minus. We B- all have our red flags, don't we? Evil Dead Rise. B minus. Solid. Strength of the second half. I, I always love a movie that finishes strong. But yeah, I'm a little let down. I'm a little let down. I can't can't help. It. All right, fair enough. So hey, I'm I'm proud of you for taking that undertaking uh, alone and without me. I, I'm I'm very proud that you did that. I nearly uh I nearly as I've I've been tempted to do this for a while, but I nearly lied to you about it. And said I saw it when I would go to see something else, and then I would have been like, I wouldn't have reviewed it for the people, but I was, the, I was the so Chevalier scared. Double feature, yeah. I would have went to <laughs> Chevalier. I was really, I was really scared. I, I gotta admit, I well, shouldn't have. Look been. at you! You faced your fears. It wasn't as bad as you thought. You overcame. Crimes of the Future, Evil Dead Rise. I've saw. Gonna turn I've you both. into a body torture person yeah. yet? Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> how to blow up a pipeline michael great music this score is so good i almost wonder if the how to blow up a pipeline music was not in the film it would be hilariously bad oh, without no. it uh look there's an annoying flashback structure to how to blow up a pipeline where you could predict the ending in the first scene or at least i did i was like i know exactly where this movie's going what are we doing what are we doing? Why are you Why are you doing this revelatory script, you know, uh, procedural? It doesn't work. And unfortunately, that just saps the movie of all of its momentum. And mm. I, look, like the mission itself, it's like all these characters in over their head. Like these are just normal college kids that drop out of school and want to blow up a pipeline. And apparently yeah, well, that's the true as, story. As, or, as kids do. No, it's not a true story. I'm sorry. This is an adaptation of a novel, I believe. But, right, they're, they're you know, they're, um, what do they call that? Activists? Yeah, but what do they call that when they're, oh, they're radicalized activists, right? Ah. So, because they're blowing up a pipeline. And it's, it's kind of wild how they do it. And then... You sound not impressed. No, it, they just every twenty minutes we gotta watch how, you know, they went to a soup kitchen and talked about the environment for twenty minutes. Like, what are we doing? See, they're not just terrorists. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for what it's worth, you are in the minority right now. It's got a seven point five on uh, IMDb. It's also got a ninety five percent on the critic side, seventy three percent audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So. People are high on this. You just, it didn't work for you. Frustrating, frustrating. Like a C plus, B minus. Yeah, I'm a little bummed out. I'm a little bummed. I wanted better. And uh, the next movie's similar. Did you did you get better in Somewhere in Queens? There's no way. I, listen, God bless Ray Romano. I don't know your thoughts on this movie. There's no way this movie was great. <laughs> so this was a big Tribeca play last year. And they, they've kind of stretched it out to coming out now. This was Ray Romano's directorial debut. Everybody loves Raymond there. Mm-hmm. It's about he's a dad and he's he he's really into his son's basketball career, of course. And when he goes to the games, he's like this miniature celebrity and he's just like drunk on it. Like all all the people know him there because his kid's the star of the team and he wants that to keep going. So at the Big last fish little pond. Yeah, at the last minute he's trying to get his son into a college basketball recruiting scenario. And it's just utterly preposterous. <laughs> like, 
if you don't know anything about high school sports and the recruiting complexities involved, it's just like, what is plausible about this kid just bumping into a scout in the parking lot and the scout's like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get these 10 hoops and jump through them for you so that your, your kid gets a D1 full ride. Are you, are you out of your mind, Ray Romano? You just don't understand anything. So that's the problem with this movie, even though, Yes, I think. I wonder he, if such. I don't mean like. Yeah. Are such considerations taking into account? Do you think? Obviously, no. we wouldn't know. But like, there's got to be somebody who's a hard enough sports fan that at least in the pitch brings up, "Hey, this is or how about this is going to turn off sports fans?" Or how about forget sports fans? How about somebody who's had a high school student? Because he's clearly making this for parents, <laughs> right? He's making right. this for the right. over forty crowd who have kids, and you know, what do what do. What are we doing? I mean, you you don't know anything about this, and then you make us st- fired. Got <laughs> my shower. You bring up the you bring up these uh, objections. You're fired. I really loved all the side characters. This is a this is a this is a clear case of giving your movie away to side characters, and they they tell you about this in every screenwriting class and 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 uh, book in the world. Make sure the most interesting character in your film is your protagonist. And Ray Romano writes himself as this like shy Rocky Balboa type who only quotes Rocky Balboa through the whole movie. And it's just annoying. And the father son story is the worst part of the movie. No, no. <laughs> it's a father son movie. And his wife is so interesting, played by the Lady Bird. Oh, my God, Laurie Metcalf. Laurie, Laurie Metcalf, yeah. Laurie Metcalf is tremendous. I put her on my Best Supporting Actress Oscar list. I love his big, crazy Italian family. Nobody writes him better than he, than he does. Everybody Loves Raymond was a joy. This movie's got some scenarios in it. It's a situational comedy that really work. But then the plot line is absurd. So C minus somewhere in Queens. I don't, I don't understand why people love this movie. I mean, they love Ray Romano. I get it, but... Yeah. You can only watch Somewhere in Queens or Ghosted forever. Which one are you picking? Oh, <laughs> rough, man. Uh, Somewhere in Queens because Ghosted oh, is, wow. it's wow. not as bad as some people say. Like people were slamming it, but uh, it's just nuts. Like Chris Evans <laughs> goes from, oh, I'm just this beautiful movie star, good looking farmer slash novelist. Who keeps getting dumped all the time, and then he's like flailing and and squealing for ten minutes of an action sequence, right? That we all saw in the trailer. Oh, my girlfriend's a spy. Just just fumbling and bumbling and stumbling, and then next thing you know, he's Captain America again. Two scenes later, thank God. That's that's our that's our comfort point with Chris Evans. Chris, but what are we doing? He's a fish out of water. Or he's not. Ghosted is asinine. <laughs> However, Anna DeArmas and Chris Evans arguing with all the sexual tension and th- like those spats are kind of enjoyable, at least whatever. And there's a million cameos from all of these big actors. Uh, Adrian Brody's the big, big heavy and whatever. It's it. Some of them are having fun chewing scenery. So it's kind of like half worth watching Ghosted, but it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, going down the list, it seems like. Chris Evans got some friends involved in this <laughs> going down the cast list. Yeah, it doesn't work. I, I'm a little, yeah. a little annoyed. But, but that, that's the best part of the movie. 
that's the you know the the, the cameos whatever all right Fair enough. So that was the Big Apple TV offering lately from Ghosted. Uh, we both watched, I at least got halfway through, you watched Judy Bloom Forever documentary up on uh, Amazon, I believe. Yeah, this is going to be up for Emmys, I believe, Judy Bloom Forever. Uh, strong B86, I would say. I was sheltered to the point where her books must have been banned at all the religious schools I had to attend. So Doesn't surprise me. It's so sad. I learned a lot just watching her bibliography, you know, brought to life at least episodically through this you know this documentary so i enjoyed that i thought by the end of it i mean maybe you'll get there she's forward and admitting you know her flaws how she struggled to deal with her critics how she struggled to deal with the media some missteps there what's dated in her writing gets kind of a blip in the timeline to a degree but i mean there's there's some there's some uh accountability i would say and it's not just propagandish, but these movies told by the, you know, the author's own words about the author's own life. These, you know, it feel, they feel like an autobiography or autobiography yeah. or autobiography. Um, mm-hmm. Either one. They're going to be biased, right? Of course they are. But I do think there is, I mean, just like with, you know, it reminded me of RBG, but just like with the RBG documentary, like there's an importance now in the social climate where like, yeah, this type of story should be told. And when you deal with, when you realize what's going on with all these anti-gay, anti-sex, anti-sexuality laws that are being passed in a lot of the Southern States and a lot of conservative places right now, like this is a story that should be told. This is how books that deal with sexuality and, a, you know, the changing body of a, a adolescent sex education. Gene, it's, 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 it's educational and kids need to learn about it. And it shows the good that happens when kids do learn about it. And they it's just deliberately, it's not, they deliberately uh, launched the film on Amazon a couple of weeks before. Are, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Right. So, right. Which again, like I said, during the preview, like I think, are you there? God, it's me. It's me, Margaret. It would be banned right now in Florida. Yeah. Uh, for, in schools, which is, I mean, it's ridiculous. So I do think this serves a purpose. And yes, it, it probably is pure propaganda and, and more of a puff piece about Judy Bloom and her magnificent career. But it doesn't mean it's not necessary. and It's not a story that shouldn't be told in this current social climate. True. Yeah. And no, I learned a lot. I, I was I was happy and I'm, I'm more excited to see. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. I've heard some good reviews from, you know, friends of the show and whatnot. Yeah, I, it's been surprisingly. I mean, I thought it was going to be like, you know, a fine thing. I've seen people like really highly speaking on it so great could be like one of those spring oscar players perhaps maybe why not anyway i've learned how to pronounce chevalier good for you chevalier the cleveland cavaliers have their own movie (laughs) the story (laughs) is the trailer michael now i've seen that trailer 189 times in the last year (laughs) during and this is the the double-edged sword that is the AMC A-list, because I'll mm-hmm. go on a lot of Wednesdays to movies. <laughs> the only person you see more than Kelvin Harrison lately is Nicole Kidman. <laughs> yeah. See, like Chevalier's before every single movie I see, right. I see that trailer. Michael, this film has more interesting side plots than the main plot. And this man's life, this hero- heroic man's life, is far more fascinating in the postscript and in the title cards of this particular movie and in the stories told on the side than what we see. We see him like at high on the hog as the chevalier to the court of St. George, which is to the queen, essentially. He's this musical 
confidant and this basically this patroned musical genius, right? And it's just he's he's at court and we hear all these rumblings and we get all these side plots of the French Revolution. But like the movie's not about that. It's just it's just about him and his his petty his petty grievances with the fact that he's not being chosen to be the head of the, you know, Paris opera. And he's got this interesting dueling operas going on. And then obviously the movie shifts a little bit into the, to the backdrop, but not enough. Like, what are we doing? Interesting. I'm just very vexed by the story focus here. When you had so much rich tapestry and you had such an incredible life and then at the end of it, like, oh, yeah, and he fought in the French Revolution and won this battle. <laughs> oh, yeah, so you're saying, like, maybe don't bring up something that's going to be infinitely more interesting and curious? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to see that movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we just watched this. He's just playing. He has an affair and he he holds a concert. What are we doing? <laughs> Some would argue that's enough for a lifetime. I'm shocked. I'm just shocked. I mean, I don't think either one of us expected this to be an Oscars player. Um, What do you think, at least as far as like the costumes? If it's going to compete, my thought always was it's going to be a costume player. The costumes are gorgeous. I mean, we're we're, we're relatively focused. The problem is this movie's not having the footprint it needs to have right right now. Like, there's I'm the only person in the theater. Mm-hmm. In its 10th day yeah, of release. You were, you were texting me and responding immediately. There <laughs> couldn't have been anyone around you. The in last the theater. two nights. Some, somewhere yeah. in Queens, I'm the only person in the theater. Chevalier, I'm the only person in the theater. And truthfully, I saw those movies in with my A-list this week because I'm like, you know, they're just not going to be in theaters that long. Right. And I don't want to pay $20 for it. I'll take it for free on my subscription. I actually, I debated it a couple times. Do I see Bo's Afraid? And I just like I don't really want to see Bo. I'm gonna see Bo's Afraid. I just haven't gotten to it yet because I saw those movies instead. Right. We gotta we gotta do something about like if a movie isn't received well in the theater, you can't charge twenty dollars for it on a VOD. <laughs> we got to do something about that. They probably got to change that. Go right to seven bucks. Is fine. Right to yeah, ten. Yeah. Right to nine yeah. ninety nine. Right. That would be smarter. Maybe they yeah. should listen to us. But yeah, this is like a this is like a double edged sword AMC A list episode because I've I've been pushing on my off nights to make sure I get my ass in the movie theaters because there's so many movies that I want to see right now. I still want to see The Covenant, Bo's Afraid, Polite Society, Sisu, and Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret all come out this weekend. So that's like, f- and then Pope's Exorcist and Renfield. I was thinking about seeing. That's seven movies that are watchable in theaters right now that I still haven't seen that are going to be in theaters this weekend. And I had to bang out those three last week or those four really, because I but it's like, yeah, man, it's the four. I'm in a slump. Four. There's no way you go, you go see the Pope's exorcist. I was going to see it before our swell episode. I was thinking about it because of right. the exorcist tie. Cause would you, well, I was, that's what I was going to say. Would you have wanted to see it? If you didn't pick David Gordon Green's, the exorcist as one of your top 10 favorite films of 2023. Him on a Vespa has a draw to it. <laughs> It's a no 60 percenter, but they, they say like it, all the reviews I'm reading are like it doesn't add a whole lot to the genre. And the genre is just over. But you can't. Right. Like the, the genre is what it is at this point. Like Demon, Exorcist. The genre is one film that has never been able to be right. duplicated. Right. And it's just law of diminishing returns because it was a phenomena 
all those years ago, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that was my whole point last episode. Right. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, there needs to be, and I, I mean, if you haven't come up with the twist for the exorcist genre in the last, you know, 40, 50 years, maybe there isn't one. But there's been like, there's been like partitions made. Well, the Evil Dead franchise has the, has the action, you know, piece of it taken. And then mm-hmm. the Amityville horror has the like slow possession, you know, inner family part of it taken. And, you know, it's just, and then the Conjurings have, you know, the big splash versions of it. We've seen it accelerated in the plot. Right. So now, again, so we've seen the conventions kind of accelerated and worked into jump scares. So they, and we've seen it done in franchise form. So it's just like, I don't know, man. It's, it, what What's left to mine out of that genre? They got to start taking notes from Park Chan-wook and uh, giving us stuff that we don't expect, like, handmaiden that i'm halfway through which is not at all the movie i thought i was getting into (laughs) so how how do you stop a movie like that though how how do you stop (laughs) well i had like i'm getting mad like you watch but it was a movie because i had like tucker carlson had just gotten fired so i needed the like all the news and major primetime news networks were coming on i needed to Mm -hmm. you know priorities but that's a wacky movie like you're you're oh yeah you're in it you're texting me you seem to be engaged (laughs) But then you stop it's it. Yeah. It is engaging, but it, I'll tell you what. And this is the same for Decision to Leave. Like, it, it's slow getting into. Like, the, the first, like, half hour or something, yeah. it's like, man, let's get some narrative momentum going. And it's just not there for both of those. Obviously, Decision to Leave has a great, you know, payoff, even though the payoff isn't exactly what I thought I was getting either. So mm-hmm. that's what Park Chan-wook does. But I'm expecting this one to have one as well. But I also watched uh, Lost in Translation for the first full-time oh, single wow. sit-down through recently. and. I was more impressed by the cinematography than I was with anything. I don't remember this, huh. like the camera movement being that great as the first time I watched it, which was years and years ago at this point. But uh, yeah. Brian, what's that song, Michael? More than this, Brian, what? Oh, boy. <laughs> more oh, than boy. this. <laughs> more than this, Brian Ferry. Ferry. Brian yeah. Ferry of Roxy Music, baby. Yeah. <laughs> great karaoke scene. <laughs> yeah. Great, uh, great karaoke scene. You're absolutely right. And young Scarlett Johansson can make googly eyes at anybody and just have them melt. Yeah. Great uh, fake commercials, too, in that movie. I didn't realize, like, when did the first scary movie come out? 98? How was the? Uh, where are you going with this? I don't well, know. Well, Anna Ferris is, like, a big part in that movie. And I didn't realize she was, like, Sofia Coppola <laughs> level in 2002. You know what I mean? Actors act in a lot of movies, man. <laughs> yeah, the first scary movie came out in 2000, and Anna Ferris is in Lost in Translation in 2002. Yeah. I didn't. I, Leslie she went Nielsen. Back to the scary... Believe it or well, not. Okay, but Leslie Nielsen had a whole career. Like, Anna Ferris, her, one of her first projects was scary movie. Regina Hall. What's she doing now? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's 20 years later. Again, not exactly not making my point that I'm trying to make. <laughs> I just didn't expect to see Anna Ferris playing a pivotal role in a Sofia Coppola Oscars movie. That's all. In the year after she made her debut in Scary Movie. I, I, I guess uh, spoofs giveth and they taketh away. <laughs> What else did you watch, Mike? Lost the trailer. That's 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 yeah. all I got. Right, it's been a rough week for me on uh, in the home level. So that's, <laughs> oh, you uh, watched, that's you know, yeah. th- th- uh, 
if you if you add one movie plus two halves, you watch right. two movies. And then I'm working through the finale of uh, Brennan's uh, Dimension Twenty latest uh, campaign. There, oh, I got good. like an hour left on that. I shouldn't so. have sprung this uh, what we're watching section on you, but uh, I just I've been sieging. No, you need A-list. to. I mean, I you 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 get trying to, the, to get you these... get to the theater, and I'm trying to to keep up with stuff at home, um, mm-hmm. but I never will. You uh, you watch everything. Yeah, yeah, but you can't think about it that way. You should just no. You know, I don't. I don't. I don't care know. about you. But uh, you know, like go go. Just turn on Ghosted in the background, and then you'll. I will not do that. <laughs> there is no. I don't have a fiber of desire in me to watch. Nah, that I don't movie. blame you for that one. <laughs> no, nah, it's weird because like the, the. I think it's definitely noticeable that the at home watch options are lessening, and oh yeah, we're flooding movie theaters with all of it, but. Is that necessarily the wisest course of action? Because a lot of these movies are blipping in theaters. We're still at the point where, like, yes, mainstream, I guess things with a lot of hype and, like, you know, reliable IPs can make money. But, like, Chevalier is not, you know? Like, is the Pope's Exorcist going to make money? I haven't kept up with the box office, but I don't know. Chevalier's trailer played before every single movie at AMC for over a year. And people are still not seeing the movie. <laughs> right. Right. In theaters, anyway. Maybe they'll watch it at home. Yeah. I'm looking up The Pope's Exorcist and seeing if that made money this week. And I, I, the I Pope's no Exorcist is going to be profitable because it was $18 yeah, million dollar a, budget. It's already up to 52 worldwide. Yeah. It's almost right. three times already. Man, it's weird that we've been doing this long enough to see two shifts in the landscape because you know right before the pandemic it was all streaming 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 we got to get on streaming and now coming out of the pandemic it's holy shit we got to get back to theaters <laughs> and then they're going to be like oh wait all these money movies lost money we better find right. a balance <laughs> got to go back to streaming <laughs> So uh, that is your Oscar race checkpoint covering Tribeca and some recent offerings in theaters. As always, dear listener, what matters most to us are your thoughts. Have you seen anything that uh, also Mike just ran down in the theaters recently? What are your thoughts on them? What are you most excited by or now anticipating or turned off by in the Tribeca lineup that we we just ran down as well? If you have any thoughts about the Oscar schedule, let us know those uh, as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO empire. As always, you can leave us those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We're available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple podcast or Spotify app, if you appreciate what we do, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review on your app of choice, those help us out immensely. Thank you to everyone who has done so thus far. Uh, Michael, the year in preview series, I think it ends with part eight on the horizon, but tell the good people what else is coming next and let's have some words of wisdom. to end. Yeah, officially it's part eight, but it's going to be like a, 12 episode playlist we're we're like the cinema marvel cinematic universe you know we have our franchise star wars but we also mm-hmm. have the spinoffs and then basically we're going to do an oscars year in preview series that continues until the oscars correct and then that restarts <laughs> immediately after the oscars that's right <laughs> but no this this definitely covered i mean if you guys aren't prepared now uh for the 100 percent accurate picks if you're not prepared, <laughs> it's on you <laughs> It's on. It is on you because we previewed the hell out of Cannes and Sundance. After we we reviewed the hell out of Sundance, and we previewed Cannes and now Tribeca, and then we did every studio. <laughs> so you have the slate. You have the field uh, in your view, uh, at least audibly speaking. 
which this metaphor <laughs> has fallen on its face. Boy, we, we got the picks. Quickly. We got the picks. It's wise to uh, not mix your metaphors after reading <laughs> 74 plot premises in one episode. There you go. Stay tuned. 100% way too early Oscars predictions on the horizon, guys. When reality sucks, you can get the picks of every studio's offering for the year with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See ya.